I'll be honest. So far, we've really talked about conceptual stuff, strategies, theories, architecture, right? That's the stuff that, you know, some people just eat up with a big old spoon like it's a bowl of corn checks. Corn checks? Yeah, they still make corn checks, right? Yeah, sure. Anyway, some people love it. I love it. I love the strategy stuff. But this is when we pivot. This is the moment in which we get much deeper on the actual tactics, the stuff you do. This is the big section. This is a whole new section called, in the book, Execution. And that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. Hey everybody, James Ellis here. Welcome to the Talent Cast. It is season two, which means it's the podcast version of the audiobook of the updated version of t- Talent Chooses You. Yeah, I have to, even I have to think about how to say that sentence. It's a lot, but it is brought to you as always by recruitmentmarketing.com, the community for recruitment marketing professionals. They have sponsored the entire season. If this is the sort of stuff you like to hear, you should go sign up because I'm doing a couple of Ask Me Anything. We did one a couple weeks ago. It was a lot of fun. And I hope you can make one of the next ones. We're doing four in total. So go sign up to recruitmentmarketing.com. And aside from all the other content they have, maybe sign up for an Ask Me Anything and then ask me, I don't know, anything. Also, I've got a newsletter. I'm sure by now you know about it. But we've cracked 2,000 subscribers. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's that's something, right? Uh, 2,100 to be precise. So it's just crazy. It's growing like a weed. Uh, been going on for two years, but as always, it is 100% free there to help you stay sharp in your employer brand thinking. There so that when in that moment, when your hiring manager or your boss or your head of talent or I don't know, your chief marketing officer asks you a question, you have a sharper edge. That's what it's all about. All right, let's get into it. Section, I don't know, this is, the, this is the execution section. So you might be wondering how it is that a book about employer branding takes three quarters of its book to get even to the tactics, right? The stuff that actually helps you launch and manage the employer brand, right? Totally fair. I get you. But employer brand isn't a checklist. It starts as a way of seeing the world, both in how candidates look for jobs, but also how your company presents itself. That overlap is a complex and, well, let's be fair, ever-changing network of desires, motivations, and, and expectations. So you need to see things clearly. You need to see things for what they are in the moment. Not what you want them to be, not what you think they are, not what you expect them to be, but as they are, right? Don't be swayed by what you or maybe your boss wants them to be. Because once you really see for what, for what it is, you can see all the ways you can make the impact and influence you're trying to make. So now that you've seen how a change in perspective can expand your hiring, the trick becomes embedding that perspective in everything you and your company does. That's what makes the difference between painting slogans on the wall and fostering a culture that succeeds because everyone's rewards and everyone's motivations are aligned because every part of the business knows how to tell the story of culture in their own words. This is employer brand not as wallpaper, but as something much, much closer to DNA. This next chapter is less an instruction guide than a basic list of tools that you can call on to get the job done. Think of it as a tool chest. I'm just going to describe a screwdriver. I'm going to tell you when you might want to use a screwdriver. I'm also going to tell you Screwdriver doesn't solve everything. Sometimes you need a drill. Sometimes you need a hammer. And sometimes you need a, I don't know, I can't think of any other tools. 
There are infinitely more tools beyond just this list, but this is the starting list. This is the beginnings to give you a sense of what can you do? What's the foundation you need to go anywhere? So let's dive into chapter six, planning. And this section I refer to as how to talk to interesting candidates at parties. Those of you who get the joke, bravo. In previous sections, we talked about the talent funnel. And the funnel makes it really clear that there's an amazing talent to be found places far beyond the job board and the hiring event, right? Prospects are always around you. The trouble is that trying to communicate them via job postings only work with the few who are actively right now looking for a job and doing so on a job board, and who also know your brand, and who are also willing to listen to what you have to say. And boy, when I write it out like that, it's a wonder anyone ever applies for anything on a job board. That said, tiny aside, Job boards do work even at higher level stuff, but we'll tell you, that's the whole separate conversation. So you're going to have a lot better response, both in terms of rate and level of reaction, if you connect and communicate with prospects how they want, not where it's easiest for you. It's not about you, it's about them. Now this isn't a new idea. I remember when social media first started to become a real legitimate channel for recruiting, the rally cry was, talk to candidates where they are, not where you want them to be. And, and while I completely agree, asking me to look at, potential, at a potential job, assuming it's a job that I could do in a city I would live in, which is a fairly low threshold, but one most recruiters who try to engage me never ever reach. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the people I have reaching for me and the offers, quote unquote, offers they send me. Anyway, while I'm looking at pictures of my friends or kids or a funny animated GIF, pushing me then isn't going to get me to respond. The medium is designed to trigger your brain in producing dopamine, getting you addicted to the platform. And trust me, the your, we're hiring post or join us post with a stock image is not producing any dopamine for anyone. I'll say that again. Your generic post isn't creating the chemical trigger that your entire platform is based on if you're thinking in social media. And by the way, while we're here, when you think about your competition on social media, you probably think about people in your industry, the other companies that are competing for, against you for your consumer business or recruiting business. You think about competing against other recruitment marketing posts, and that is a mistake, my friends. When you're a recruiter and you're trying to connect via Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, you aren't competing against other companies' recruitings. You're competing against my friends' vacation photos, inside jokes, funny video clips, breaking news, and the occasional photo of Ryan Gosling. Can you compete for attention against Ryan Gosling? No? Okay. Then maybe you need to rethink your social media strategy. Okay? Back to where we go. But what is a recruiter without a job posting, right? It's like a plumber without a wrench or a teenager without a phone. These things have all but defined the role for a recruiter for so long, it's hard to wrestle them out of most recruiters' hands. It's not so much that job posts are bad. Well, okay, most of them they are. And okay, some are okay. But... The odds that a job posting you find doesn't read like a list of technical specs for a tr job that was translated into Icelandic and back and in English by two lawyers who don't like each other are like Powerball level of odds, right? When you see one, you almost kind of can't believe it. Like when I see them, I bookmark them, even though they're jobs I don't want in, in countries and worlds I don't want to live in or have anything to do with. I go, wow, I can't believe it. It's like finding a four-leaf clover being given to you by Bigfoot. You cannot believe it. You take a picture immediately. Two things to talk about here, though. Job postings don't have to suck. They really don't, really. And the first way to increase your odds of that they don't suck is to stop equating job postings with job descriptions. 
They are not the same. Job descriptions are legal documents. They're there to keep the company from getting sued. They're, they're te defensive technical specs about a job written by lawyers who's never had to do that job. Maybe have never met someone who does that job. Maybe doesn't even understand what that job is. They're horrible and they should really only be seen by lawyers, HR professionals wearing protective clothing, and the candidate once they've actually expressed an interest in the job itself, assuming that's even legally necessary. The trouble comes when the overworked recruiter, yes, they are all overworked, I agreed, that's true. When they were handed a job description and said, turn it in, you know, use this to open a requisition. But instead of spending a little time, like an hour or 12, trying to make heads or tails of this horrible job description, again, written only by lawyers for lawyers, turning into something, I don't know, useful or maybe even, God help us, attractive, they don't. They just dump it into the ATS and hope people apply. And when in doubt, they go, hey, hire manager, the description notwithstanding, who are you really looking for? Who, who, who are you trying to hire? And they go from there. They treat the job posting as a checkbox. They get through it as quickly as humanly possible. They don't look at quality. They don't consider the value of having a good versus bad job posting because they know that in the end, the hiring manager is going to tell them what they really want. It won't ever end up in the job posting, and they'll use that direct information from the hiring manager to decide how to approach people. In all honesty, up until a few years ago, that was enough, and that is such a sad statement, but not any longer. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, your job post has got to be better, right? It used to be that the bar was so low, simply writing something without typos was good enough. Those days are gone. Though, I will say, the fastest way to write a not bad job post is to think, think of it not so much as a technical spec, but as a marketing document. Why? Because that's what a job posting is or job ad, or job advert, to our British and European friends. Uh, they're, my, they're marketing documents. They're commercials. So you shouldn't be asking yourself, hmm, how do I, self, how do I fill this thing with so many bullets that it looks like a Michael Bay movie, just to make sure that I'm not missing anything legally important. Did you go to law school? No? Okay, then stop trying to play lawyer, okay? Come on. No, no, don't do that. Just talk about what the job is like and why someone should want to get or would get some measure of personal or professional satisfaction out of doing it. Talk less about what you want and talk more about what the prospect might like about the company or about the role or about the team. And remove as much jargon and legal sounding terms off as you can. Those things just get in the way. And honestly, if you just do those simple things, you're way ahead of like 90% of most job postings. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Eight rules for writing a job posting that won't make you want to drink heavily. Well, any more than you normally do. Your job posting is, without question, the most important first impression you are going to make to the highest number of people. Maybe they aren't exactly who you want, but in sheer numbers, that's this is the thing. you got to get the job posting right. And getting it right puts you on the path to understanding how to do more of this stuff right. And for the record, no one actually likes writing job postings. The Two possible exceptions might be uh, Mitch Sullivan and Katrina Kibben, maybe, right? 
but nobody likes their job postings. And again, there are people who can get into them and I've already mentioned their names. So, hey, hey, Mitch. Hey, Katrina. In fact, so many companies, it's not even clear who's responsible for building them, right? If you go back and look at your, your, your big old master document of how do we hire, and by the way, many of you don't have one of those. You should go make one now. Uh, incredibly effective, incredibly useful. And in fact, I even lever, you know, talk about it later in this, in this uh, uh, book. But if you look at the master document of how a business need turns into a job, who writes the job posting is always pretty fuzzy. It's like that Spider-Man meme of everybody, each Spider-Man pointing to another Spider-Man. I thought you were supposed to do it, said HRBP. I thought you were supposed to do it, said the recruiter. I thought you were supposed to do it, said the hiring manager, right? And if no one's really responsible for building them, what you end up with is a some collection of old job postings, bullets from another job description, maybe even some purloined text from someone else or another company, right? You know, maybe that's vaguely in the shape of a job posting and it just kind of shows up, it gets dumped in the ATS and you pretend as if Maya or Angelou wrote it. No, it's no excuse. It's just no excuse. Especially once you see how easy and effective a decent job posting can be. Again, these are not great job postings. These are better job postings. To get great, you need a copywriter or people who are good at copywriting. I believe I've already dropped my names here. But you can get pretty okay. And that's really, honestly, better than 90% of most jobs. So here are the rules. First rule, job postings are marketing tools. We talked about this, but let's, get, let's, let's, let's hammer this home, shall we? Because first off, job postings are not job descriptions. Those are legal documents. And unless you want to spend the rest of your life up to your eyeballs and red lines, focus on job postings. You are not in the job description business, right? Job postings, the things that go on job boards, okay, we're clear on that. Those are marketing documents and they should spark interest, attract attention, and inform the reader. If you can sparkle in, sprinkle in a little bit of inspiration there, all the better. By virtue of being marketing documents, you are now obliged to throw out all the rules you are taught, <laughs> if that's the right word, about job postings in the past. Those were literally fifth-party hearsay about job descriptions that have no bearing on most realities. What, what, what? I'm sorry, what do I mean? Okay, how about this? A common misconception about job postings is they have to be comprehensive, that they have to spell out every single duty someone might ever perform. So you can't reject someone in a wheelchair saying that you forgot someone, you know, that the job might require lifting 50 pounds or 30 kilos of weight to a shelf four feet off the floor all day, right? But I'm not an employment lawyer. What's my proof that you don't have to be comprehensive? Well, here it is. I grew up in a time where a stock boy wanted either in a newspaper or a poster on a wall, constituted a job posting. Three words, waiter, staff wanted, right? Those are, those are valid job postings. Are they comprehensive? No, not even a little bit. And once you realize you don't have to be comprehensive, you realize that the stuff you end up saying should mean something. You're not filling a box just to fill it. You've got to put stuff that's worthwhile. There's no room for filler bullets. It's got to be stuff that matters, not just stuff that I thought somebody told me I had to put in there. And as a marketing document, follow some simple rules about marketing. The most important of which is that the marketing document does not make the sale. The commercial doesn't buy the car. The value of the marketing document is to get someone interested in learning more. In most marketings, that means going to a store or contacting a salesperson. In your world, that's you, or the recruiter, rather. Uh, 
The recruiter helps make the sale. The marketing document just creates the connection. It facilitates the introduction. It sparks an excuse to have a conversation. Trying to make the marketing document make the sale is an absolute exercise in frustration. The only other marketing rule to be aware of is that just because a marketer can lie doesn't mean you should. So maybe, and how about absolutely, don't. Paint a picture, absolutely. Create a vision, you got it. Make a dream happen, okay. But there's no need to lie. Rule number two, develop a modular framework. This is gonna save you so much time. And, and over the long term, oh, this is, this is what's gonna keep you sane. So if you had to write a job posting from scratch, every time, you'd probably quit and find another job as soon as you could. And honestly, that's a fate I'd rather keep you from. So let's go with this modular framework. The framework makes it easy to see when you can reuse existing copy and when you have to write something new. And honestly, once you see it this way, you realize that most job postings, you can steal stuff, but you should do it intentionally. The longer you follow this process, the less often you'll have to write something new. So here's the framework. Eight bullets. Headline, job title. Paragraph one is about the company. Paragraph two is about the team. Paragraph three is about the role. Paragraph four is about the culture. Paragraph, where am I? I've lost count. Anyway, uh, then how you'll spend your time. And then finally, what things we're most interested in you having. We'll get more detailed in a minute, but just follow along. That's all it is. Focus on being modular. Rule three, spend most of your time writing the first paragraph about the company. So if you follow the framework, you're only gonna need to write this paragraph, the company paragraph, once. And then you use it for every single job posting every single time. As a time saver, it's pretty hard to beat. But it does require some work and thought on the front end in order to deliver the value. Though frankly, once you nail it, it delivers value for a very long time. Because when you think about writing the about the company paragraph, it's most likely you thought about something that sounded a bit like established in 1958, the P. Rickerton Flabbergaster Esquire as the premier provider of cracker box sealant in the world. Our company had and blah, 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 blah. That stuff is straight off an investor relations page. It's straight off the 10K. You know, that's what legal has decided what your company is. And it has no business being on your lovely new job posting, let alone all of them. So throw it out. Instead, you should think of the answer to this question. What change in the universe does your company seek to make? Why does it exist? Every day, when you boil it down, you are asking people to show up and do something. So what is that something? Not what is the thing they're doing, but why do they do the work they need to do? Why do they come together, whether it's via virtual or in an office, to make this happen? Why? Why do they brave commutes and mediocre coffee to do this job? What is the change they say, seek to make collectively? Okay. What is the purpose of this company? And once you figure that out, and by the way, this concept will help guide a lot of your other employer brand tasks you'll be coming up to, so do it right. Turn into a paragraph that makes the purpose sound interesting. I know, crazy, right? Throw in a few facts to make your company sound real, but don't really kind of bring in the Q4 net revenue that the goal of the company works towards every day. That is not, that's not the, you know, the dent you're making in the universe. Focus on the bigger picture stuff. Now take that draft your comms team and ask for their blessing. 
And then when that doesn't happen, hold back the tears and recriminations when they suggest edits. Because you know what? Spoiler, they will. Have a conversation. Find some common ground. Something that keeps your original vision but keeps them from feeling like you're running a rogue company comms team over in the TA side, okay? It takes a little time. It will take a couple of revisions. There is front load work, but I promise you, once you nail it, oh, it's saving you lots of time. So when everyone's comfortable, lock it down, move on. Rule four, spend the next most time writing a grabby headline. And I love a headline. Oh, I love a headline. The nice thing about being a marketing document is now that you get to treat it like one. For example, you'll notice that great marketing is very microscopic. For example, take a good look at any piece of good marketing content. The picture is eye-catching, but it only has one purpose, to get you to read the headline. The headline is incredibly catchy and maybe even clickbaity, and its sole goal is to get you to read the first paragraph. The first paragraph entices you to read the second, which persuades you to read the third, which is how you get convinced to look at the call to action button. The text of the button exists only to make you click it. It's amazing, it's a big old ladder, right? The rules are the same for your job posting. When someone's pushing a search term into a job board, you have about half a second to get them to stop scrolling long enough to read just that little bit of headline. That's what the headline's there for, to get them to stop and go, huh, that's interesting. Oh, oh I'm sorry, your ATS doesn't have a headline function? Well, to be fair, none of them do. Instead, wrap a header two tags around the title so it looks like, you know, you know, in the HTML editor, so it looks like this. So you got that pointy bracket open, H2, pointy bracket closed, free coffee and meeting. Pointy bracket open, slash, H2, and pointy bracket. Just that little bit of HTML. Congratulations, you are now an HTML coder. You can put that on your, on your resume, enjoy. Just that little bit of code will make the text big, keep the font, keep the style, all that good stuff, and make there was usually a little bit of padding around it. It just looks like a headline. Why? Because header, the H and H2, means it's the second header. It's the second headline. Not the title, that's big, but something nice and big, bigger than the copy. It looks good. It looks right. Now remember, the headline is not there to sell someone on the job. You're just getting their attention. Just enough attention to convince them to skim the job title and start reading your about the company paragraph. That's all it's supposed to do. Do not put too much faith in the power of a headline to create applications because that's not what it's there for. It's a time-tested technique to ask a question in the title. And I like that kind of model. I've, I've used it a lot. Uh, asking a question forces the reader to answer it in their head, even if only for a fraction of a second. But that's usually enough to get them to read more deeply into the posting. For example, here are some examples here, right? Are you ready to have your skills tested? Okay, what, well, it's gonna make somebody stop and go, what? When's the last time you felt engaged at work? Ooh, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a little pokey. What are you working towards? We're trying to, dot, 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 and you finish that sentence. When's the last time you had a great laugh at work? Now that should only be useful if people can actually legitimately expect to laugh at work. How about this one? Do you feel like you're making an impact at work? These are questions that make people go, ooh, interesting, I haven't thought about this. I haven't thought about my own job like that much. Any one of these sets the frame about what you're offering in your EVP. So that the candidate validates their interest, 
The ideas you spark with this little question begin to take root, right? Don't just come up with clickbait for the sake of clickbait. P build something that's clickbait-esque that ties back to the EVP you're establishing, the reason why people should engage. Now, just as a heads up, if you search for 51 headline formulas over at sumo.com, you will jumpstart your ability to make headlines in about five minutes. It's an amazing document. Apply those rules you know, as much as you can. You can also apply them to your internal email subject lines or your outreach. Just don't blame me when more people start reading your emails. Anyway, rule five. Write a paragraph about the team, the role, the culture. Right? Three different paragraphs. Having written what change in the world your company's trying to make, your reader might actually be a little worried that they don't know how to make that change happen, right? They're just a junior level inbound marketer. They're just a, uh, they're just a lawyer. They're just a, an accountant. How, how will they save the world, right? And if you're leading them into that arc, will they be navigating or sweeping out the animal cages, right? That's, there's a difference, right? So with the next three paragraphs, what you're doing is you're writing a paragraph that explains how the team or the department helps the company make the change happen. So if you're talking about an accountant and everybody needs accountants, but they all, you know, no one's using the accountant to solve the biotech question, right? But the accountant is there to facilitate other things. So if you write a paragraph about how the accounting team supports the company achieving its goals, that's all you're trying to do. Then you write a short paragraph about how the person supports the team, right? It's a real clear, obvious answer how an accountant supports the accounting finance team, and it should be a pretty clear line about how the accounting finance team supports the company. You just have to create that line, that through line, that connects those dots. And finally, you'll write a short paragraph on the culture of the team. Having spent three paragraphs describing the what and the why, what this role does and how it makes the impact, now you'll describe the how of what it does. Not the what, but the how. Because together, you'll start to create a clear picture of why someone should be interested in this role without having to read all the stuff, the mumbo jumbo, the legal ease. The nice thing is once you write a given team's paragraph, you reuse it every time that team has a job opening. Again, modular. You reuse these pieces over and over again. You'll probably only have to write a handful of iterations of the culture paragraph to reflect the, all the different teams and locations. The, the culture of the finance team and the legal team is not the same culture as the sales team or the development team or the whatever team. You may have to write a couple different versions, but you'll find that they tend to coalesce. Rule six, label and your, your bullet sections better. Now this one is literally the easiest fix you can make. You'll probably have two sections of bullets, maybe three, depending on how you do it. One will be kind of a qualifications or requirements section. One will be a responsibilities or duties section. All these words, of course, are horrible, uh, but here we are. The problem is those labels haven't served you. They just haven't. It's time to fix that. So what you should do is change that requirements section into something that says, something to the effect of, what kinds of things we're most interested in you having? You'll change the responsibilities and duties sections to something along the lines of how you'll spend your time. Done. Okay, next rule. Oh, oh, oh you want an explanation. Okay, sure, fine. First off, these suggestions just sound, I don't know, human, right? That's always a good thing. The job hunting process is a soul-destroying process, even for people who are incredibly talented, even for people who have their choice of the jobs. So anything that makes a person feel like they're being spoken to by a human, like a human, 
always a good thing, inherently good. But the real important shift comes from how these labels connect with underserved audiences, right? So we all know the, the data that says if you're a man and there are six you know, requirements for a job and you meet five of them, you're applying. What do you care? It's just a job, clicking the button, moving along. But if you're a woman, you're for even uh, underserved minorities in different demographics. If you don't get all six, you tend to shy away from it. Now that's not a hard and fast rule, but the data is pretty clear that it's a pretty broad trend. If you stop calling it a requirement, you negate that process. Because let's be fair, your requirements are not actually requirements, right? You say must have a college education, but if Mark Zuckerberg showed up and says, I want that job, you will hire Mark Zuckerberg in a heartbeat, to which I will say, I guess having a college degree wasn't actually a requirement. Take anything that isn't a true requirement out and then reword that requirements label into something more human. Rule seven, make the bullets count. Now this one is my favorite, absolutely my favorite. In order to get your bullets to be useful, I mean like legit useful, and there's plenty of people who tell you that don't put any bullets and they have a good argument to make and I, I, I understand it. And again, to do it right, you should take a little bit of copywriting skill. We're not doing that. Today, we're talking about if you're gonna use a bullet, how to use it right. So here's the bullet format. And this applies for every skill, every requirement, whatever. You'll use tool or skill to task in order to outcome. We'll do that again. You'll use this tool or skill to do this task in order to create an outcome. That's the formula. Now, most bullets are just a listing of skills, which isn't really a useful descriptor of anything, right? Most places say things like, must know Excel, or worse, this is my favorite because it seems like it's more useful, the phrase, must have an intermediate experience with Excel. What does that mean? If I don't know Excel very well and I don't know the depths to the things it can do, I might think intermediate knowledge is understanding that formulas exist. If I'm really good, I might know that it means creating macros. Those are deeply different levels of Excel knowledge. Right? Are we talking about data entry or are we talking about VLOOKUP commands? Right? Will they be color coding schedules to make things pretty or are they going to be developing complex formulas and tabbed programs? Right? They're all called knowing Excel or intermediate Excel, but that's not clear to the reader. So instead, write it this way using the formula. You'll use Excel to run pivot tables in order to find sales opportunities. Now, not only is this so much more descriptive of what we mean by must know intermediate Excel, we've established some skill leveling. We've actually also reinforced why this job exists, why this task exists. In this example, you are going to need Excel, why? To help sales teams find opportunities so that they can chase after them and bring home more revenue. Therefore, your job has more purpose. How did I do that in a single bullet? Yeah. You can even choose words to make the bullet use language that supports and aligns to the EVP. Here's another example. We've all seen everyone's favorite, must be an excellent written and spoken communicator. Just as an aside, that's still better than must be a written, must be a written, excellent, must have excellent written and oral skills. I'm not sure what kind of oral skills those mean. A lot of opportunity for jokes. Please take it, take your time. They're good. They're all good. They're all wins. Anyway. I mean, honestly, but is those that, that set of words, is there anything used so often that sign, signifies so little, right? 
tell me, will this job require, I don't know, writing novels or haikus or will they draft emails or soliloquies? Will this person be expected to perform on stage or just tell a coworker what's going on, right? They're all qualified under written and spoken or oral communication, but it's so unclear. It is a blanket general statement that means zilch, but we can rewrite it. Let's try this. You'll write emails and lead video meetings to remote team members in order to ensure that everyone is meeting their goals. That's a completely different picture. It's a very clear picture. In fact, it reveals that this company is one that uses video software to work with potentially remote staff, some of whom will be on your team. This is painting a picture not just of the skill, but of the job, the team, and the company. Magic! Now, you don't have to write every single bullet this way because it will read a little tediously at the eighth bullet, the tenth bullet, but doing it a few times, especially towards the top of that list, super useful in shaping candidates' understanding and the interest in those roles. Last rule, build yourself a library. Give yourself the gift of time. My goodness, I, I, I should write commercials for a living. Give yourself the gift of time in the future and plan out a simple library of your best job postings. I highly suggest putting them in some sort of shareable document that you can control access to so that you can share it with recruiters to steal from as much as they want. And frankly, they will never steal from it nearly as much as you want, and you will be thrilled by the ones that do. <laughs> Let's just be fair. This also lets you keep them from changing your hard-earned content, and especially the stuff that's been vetted by legal and comms, right? They're going to be thrilled to have what libraries to steal from that's appropriate and you know, connected and, and is vetted appropriately, and you'll be able to start to build advocates in the recruiters and HRBPs who normally have to think about writing this stuff. This is a way to make a million friends, and you want that. So while following these rules will ensure that you're always writing good job postings, this isn't about how to write an actually useful, effective, and engaging job postings. Job postings are a microcosm of what a great employer brand professional can do and be. Only you will be able to really understand how the word choice, that particular word, describes your company. That how that selection of that word isn't random, but actually plants the seeds of your EVP in the candidate's mind. You gotta be strategic here. You know that a huge percentage of your audience starts their journey here at this job posting. So take full advantage. You gotta be willing to get tactical, to get your hands dirty and write the copy. And not just once, sometimes you'll have to write it again and again. Sometimes you'll have to literally drag it to the recruiter and say, I saw that job posting you're putting on the job board. I bet I can do it better. I wrote something for you. Here I made this for you, right? You're also getting political by looping in comms when you probably should have, you could have hidden from them, right? So much of what recruiting builds and posts out to the universe never gets seen by comms. I don't know why that is. It's probably a good thing, but it's also a terrifying thing. You, you, you decide. Getting job postings right will make it pretty clear that you can get so much done in the way that you want to get it done that you'll be able to make and see the measurable difference just because one single project was done properly. Right? You don't have to explain all your tricks. You don't have to explain all the strategy and thinking behind every single word choice and every single document. But doing it right, making it incredibly easy for everybody to access and leverage, this is how you make friends and, and build relationships across the board. These are the kinds of lessons, okay, you can take job postings and apply it to all sorts of stuff, that are going to shape your work for your entire career. This is also a call to action. Recruiters, please, I'm begging you. 
put down your job descriptions. If the only work, assuming they're ever written well, on people in a certain place at a certain time, don't use them. Now, of course, your next question as a recruiter is going to be, okay, if I can't spam people all day with this stupid job posting, what am I going to talk about instead? That's what we're going to talk about next week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you then. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.